0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope Church Online. My name's Nick, and I'm the kids team leader here at Hope Church. This morning, we're going to be carrying on in our series in Luke. And if you'd like to turn to Luke 6, and we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 11. On a Sabbath... While Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence?" which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was restored. The scribes and the Pharisees were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Well, it's been a really interesting few weeks, hasn't it, to say the least? And I'm sure we've all spent time thinking and discussing and maybe worrying a bit about how we interpret the government rules and regulations of what we can or what we can't do with coronavirus around. I know I certainly have. My dilemma, my small dilemma, was what to do with a one and a half year old Labrador who is used to at least 50 minutes to an hour's walk every day. A small dilemma to some, but nevertheless one that I had to try and work out. My normal routine before all this kicked off would be to wake up early, feed him, jump in the car, drive to the local rugby club, take him for a walk in the fields, and, um, and, you know, and then spend at least an hour or so walking with him. And uh, I was, so it got me thinking, you know, can I still do this? Uh, what did my one ration of daily exercise mean, or what would it look like? Was I allowed to even drive to the rugby club, or should I walk from my house? And, you know, what if my neighbors saw me getting into the car and driving off in the morning? Am I breaking the law? Could I eventually get fined for doing this? And in the end, I settled, well, to just take him for one walk a day, walking from my house. And, of course, the current government uh, restrictions and guidelines and advice are for a good reason, and we should do all we uh, should to follow them. But my little dilemma and some of the dilemmas that we're facing at the moment, along with the threat of social shaming, fines, and worse, actually kind of give us an insight into what was going on in this story. This story is set in a society where people are scared to get caught out, a society that followed the law of Moses. But this law had been made more complicated by the religious authorities, of whom the scribes and Pharisees were part of. And what they had done uh, was to add to the law of Moses. They'd added 248 commands. They'd added 365 prohibitions, 1,521 amendments. To the point, it was impossible to to even attempt to follow it. And in this society people were motivated by fear, fear of the religious authorities, fear of breaking man-made rules and laws, and fear of what that might mean to their relationship with God. And this story describes how the disciples accidentally fell foul of the religious culture to the extent, well, actually, it almost became comical, And you can picture, can't you, the Pharisees following Jesus and his disciples from afar, running from tree to tree, slinking behind bushes, and just waiting to see if any of them broke the law. And then when they did, up they popped. Aha, we've caught you. Or maybe not so comical, you can see how it got to the point where the Pharisees were actively watching Jesus to see what he would do, to the extent that they completely missed the fact that there was a poor, sick man presenting in front of them. So what did the Sabbath actually mean, and and what did it mean to the Pharisees? So in the first account, Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields, and I'm sure we've all done this, haven't we? Uh, The disciples had picked some grain, they were rubbing it in their hands, extracting the flour, and just kind of snacking on it. And it's worth noting that in those days, um, doing this wasn't actually theft, and people were allowed on long journeys, or on journeys, just to glean from fields. Landowners understood this, so this, this wasn't a kind of get-off-my-land moment where there was a landowner hiding behind a tree with a shotgun. This was okay to do. So what was the big deal to the Pharisees? Well, to the Pharisees, the big deal was that it was done on a Sabbath. And the Sabbath day of rest stood at the very heart of what it meant to be a Jew. If you go right back to the beginning, when God created the world, he spent six days creating and then he rested. And God obviously didn't need to rest. God doesn't get tired But he wanted to give us humans a model to follow. As humans, we need rest. And that's why God has put in us, hasn't he, these warning signs of tiredness, of hunger, of snappiness, of stress. And an important point here to note is that Adam was created on the sixth day. And on his first day, his first full day on earth, the seventh day, he rested. The day of rest was a reminder to Adam that he should rest by grace through faith in the finished work of God. Adam didn't work on his first day because God had already worked. God had created the world on his behalf. And this is a picture of what was to come, and we're going to be picking up a bit more about that later. Secondly, in Exodus 20, uh, we, hear, we read the story of how God gave his people who had escaped slavery from in Egypt, the Ten Commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments was to keep the Sabbath. And they were slaves. Uh, they they, They were slaves. They had been slaves. So they would have obviously dreamt of rest. And now God was saying, do it. And incidentally, he doesn't command rest until then. So the law of the Sabbath is not given to humanity. It's given specifically to Israel. To Israel, to the Jews, Sabbath wasn't just a holiday, but it was an identity marker. We're the nation that has the Sabbath. It sets us apart. It was a big deal. And to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was so sacred that they'd added layer after layer of extra legislation to keep the Sabbath. Sabbath. And you couldn't do anything that resembled work. And by the time of the first century, Jesus' time, Sabbath was being kept in such an exhausting way. In an act of absolute blind irony, the Sabbath rest had become hard work. And the Pharisees were obsessive about it. In their Talmudic teachings, the Pharisees had given over 24 chapters on how to observe the Sabbath. to the the minutest of detail. One of the ones that made me chuckle to myself, if I'm honest, was, uh, was a law that said you can't lift anything that weighs more than a dried fig. And that just gives you an idea of how obsessive it had become. And it's worth noting that as an observant Jew, Jesus kept the law very carefully. In John 8, Jesus says, Which one of you can convict me of sin? everyone knew that Jesus was a law-abiding man. And this is important because Jesus was the only one able to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins because he had followed the Mosaic law, the law of Moses and its Sabbath requirements completely. So here in this story, in the first part of the story, the Pharisees hadn't caught out Jesus, but they'd caught out the disciples. And The disciples were hungry and they saw corn on their journey and they picked it and they saw this as God's gracious and effortless provision for them. This was a perfect opportunity for the disciples to Sabbath, to rest in God's grace to them. The Pharisees, on the other hand, saw that this was a form of harvesting and food preparation, which was prohibited in their Sabbath laws. In the second part of the story, Jesus saw a man in great need of healing. And Jesus invited him to Sabbath to rest in God's gracious healing hand. The Pharisees, however, thought that healing was actually Jesus' day job, so he really shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath. And here, in the contrast between Jesus' attitude and the Pharisee's attitude, do we see the issue, do we see the crux of the issue here? Jesus had come to free his fellow Jews from the straitjacket of religion. And this is so demonstrated in this story, isn't it? And Jesus had also come to warn generations of Christians, and that's us, if you're watching today, if you follow Jesus, not to make the same mistakes that the Pharisees were making. In simple terms, you can only be forgiven, you can only be accepted, you can only enter into a relationship with God by faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. No amount of religious activity or do-gooding will ever make you acceptable to God. And it's, it's interesting, if you read the account of this story in, the, in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 12, the chapter before, Matthew 11, is where Jesus says these incredible words, and I'll read them to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And these are incredible words, aren't they? And when you see the culture that Jesus was speaking into, they have even greater resonance. And in Jesus, if you have put your faith in Jesus this morning, in Jesus we enter into a new rest. Paul writes in Galatians 3 verse 22 how the law came for two reasons. The law of Moses came for two reasons. Firstly, to imprison the world under sin. Or in other words, to give us a moral compass so that we would be aware of what sin is and we will be aware of our need for, for salvation to be saved from that sin. Secondly, to see, to see to it that that salvation from our sin only comes through faith in Jesus, no other way. And here in this story, Jesus actually recounts the story of David eating the bread from the temple. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees when he Uh, recounts this story, you haven't looked at the law properly. You haven't really understood it. You've missed the point. David and his men were in need, and in finding the bread and relieving their hunger, they found mercy and rest. The law was given to show our need for mercy and point to God, who shows mercy and gives us rest. Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 24, that the law was a guardian until Christ came, until Jesus came. And the coming of Jesus heralds a new era, a new covenant, which had been prophesied years before, hundreds of years before. The prophet Ezekiel, 600 years before Jesus, said this. I read it to you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and i will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules now despite of the pharisees knowing this prophecy they were blind to it the law that they the law that they were so bound up in was a forerunner of what was to come and here in ezekiel's prophecy we see god's intention we see his heart a new covenant, a new agreement, a new way to live, a personal relationship with God that doesn't depend on, uh, on other people or following religious rules and requirements. God's spirit will dwell in us. We will have God's ways written on our hearts through his spirit. We will be able to personally commune with God. He will be our God and we will be his people. And God instigated this plan through Jesus. And by putting your faith in Jesus, the requirements of God's law have been met. Your sins are forgiven. You become part of God's chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We don't need to go through a human priest any longer. We can have direct communion with God. God's spirit dwells in us. We are adopted into God's family as sons and daughters with the rights of a firstborn son. We have a new identity. We are now clothed. in in Jesus's righteousness. We put on Jesus's righteousness. We rest, we Sabbath in Jesus and his finished work. And in this story, Jesus says, I am now the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the dwelling place of God. Jesus is saying, I am a walking temple. Jesus is saying, in me, all the fullness of God dwells. He's saying, I am God. Jesus is saying the whole point of the law, the whole point of the temple, the Sabbath, is pointing to me. Jesus is saying, we're going back here, everyone, to the Garden of Eden, before sin, where man walks with God in no shame. Jesus is saying, in me, you will find God. In me, you will find rest for your souls. In me, I am redefining the Sabbath. And as we put our faith in Jesus we do find rest for our souls. For Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. Jesus brings peace and rest, peace from legalistic Christianity and rest from constantly thinking, am I good enough? Am I accepted? Is this your experience this morning? Do you know rest for your soul? Do you weigh yourself down maybe with religiosity or with rules and regulations? Are you Sabbathing? Are you resting in God's wonderful grace this morning, in the knowledge that there was nothing you could do to save yourself from sin? And God knew that, so in his great love, he sent Jesus to take your punishment and make a way possible for you to have a relationship with him by trusting in Jesus we can now rest in his love, in his forgiveness, in his mercy. And this morning, maybe you've been trying to reach God, searching for a meaning to life. Well, the good news this morning is that if you put your faith in Jesus, you can rest, and from, you can rest from your struggle, and you will find God, and you can have a relationship with him. Now, the other thing I like about this story is the way that Jesus defends his disciples. And Jesus defends us in many ways. He defends us from human accusation. Today, fortunately, in church life, we're rarely subjected to this kind of legalistic mentality, religious stuff that the Pharisees were subjecting the the, uh, disciples to. But I know there are probably many among us who, you know, certainly from my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, who do remember this kind of thing. You know, Don't watch TV on Sundays or disapproving stares if you show any kind of sign of joy in church. But even though this might be far off from our experience today, the attitudes that Jesus is addressing here in the Pharisees is still often present, isn't it, in the human heart? I'm reminded of the story of David's wife, Michael, who says in the Bible, saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised David in her heart. And how many of us, if we're honest, have maybe judged others critically or looked disapprovingly on at someone? Or how quick are we to subtly adopt the Pharisees' way of thinking? and and add rules and regulations to our Christian lives in a kind of weak attempt, almost, to curry favor with God. Well, Paul reminds us in Colossians 2, and I would recommend you have a look at it. He says this, he says to it, See to it that no one takes you captive to philosophy, deceit, or human traditions. Let no one pass judgment over you on matters of what you wear or eat or or the festivals you celebrate. Let no one disqualify you, insisting you follow weird religious practices that are not in line with faith in Jesus. He goes on to say, we are now in Christ. We are free from these religious requirements. We have been filled with Jesus, who has rule and authority over everything. We have been forgiven. Our sins, our debts have been cancelled. We have been raised to new life through faith in Jesus. As we are filled with the Spirit of God, so we commune and we know the love and heart of God. The law is now written on our hearts. Jesus also defends us from Satan's accusations. Now, I don't know about you, but over the past few weeks, I've at times really struggled with Satan's lies and accusations. You know, we're in a time, aren't we, of national upheaval, where kind of all you hear seemingly is bad news, where fear is rife, where it's a challenge to meet with people, where rhythms of life have been turned upside down. And I've found that accusations have come flooding in, sowing fear, sowing doubt, sowing worry, And the Bible describes Satan as the accuser of the brethren and how he prowls around like a lion waiting to devour Christians. (laughs) And maybe you've heard similar accusations to me from the enemy, such as, you know, what's the point? You know, God's got no plans for you. Everything is falling to bits. Or he's your provider. Of course he's not what are you going to do without a job? Or what are you going to do with these financial problems? Or they clearly don't like you because they haven't replied to your WhatsApp message. And the truth is this morning is that if you put your faith in Jesus, you are hidden in him. Let's Sabbath, let's rest in the wonderful work of Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 describes Jesus as a mediator between us and God. Jesus is mediating. He's defending us before God uh, for for our right to be in his presence. Galatians 3 verse 27 describes how those who have put their faith in Jesus' death and resurrection have been given a complete new, new set of clothes to wear. We have now been clothed in Christ, in Christ's righteousness. And so when God looks at us, He sees Jesus' perfection. And if you look at yourself this morning and don't like what you see, if you feel ashamed or condemned or you've been lied to by the enemy, well, this is very good news because God sees you and he sees the spotlessness of Jesus. Paul exhorts us in Ephesians 4, verse 24, to put on our new selves, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, And the Bible gives us some really practical ways in which we can do this. In in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes how as Christians we are opposed by spiritual powers that argue with us, that they've got lofty opinions that aren't true, that are lies. Lofty opinions against the truth of God's word. And Paul encourages us to be aware of this, of who we fight against, and to take every thought captive in the authority that we have in Jesus. So how can we do this? Well, first of all, I think we can do this by replacing and not removing. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if I'm being accused, maybe this thought has popped into my head saying, you're not accepted by God. I can sit there and tell myself to remove this this thought until I'm blue in the face. I will not listen to it, I will not listen to it, but it won't go. But if I replace this negative lie, this accusation, with another thought, with truth from God's word, and keep on doing that. I can guarantee that that negative, that thought, that accusation will eventually go. So how do we do this? How do we replace and not remove? Well, first of all, we need to spend time in God's word. Paul encourages us. He says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things Whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We must, in these difficult times, spend time in God's word. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine. I know alcohol sales have gone up uh, over the past few weeks. Nothing wrong with a glass of wine or a a pint of beer, but don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what Paul says. Spend time with God. This new relationship, this closeness that we've got, this direct communion we have, let's spend time in it. Be ceaseless as we recognize ungodly thoughts that maybe have ploughed a furrow in our minds. Let's create new furrows by continuously reminding ourselves of the truth of God's word. Know the right thoughts, don't be passive. Work out what are the negative thoughts, what are the accusations, and fight them. And as we spend time in the Word of God, the Bible isn't passive, is it? It's not just a dry book. It's not just words on a page. It's God's living Word. God's speaking to us. Let this truth penetrate into your hearts and agree with God. Stop agreeing with accusations and start agreeing with what God says about you. Maybe the enemy is telling you your life was an accident. You have no purpose. What does the Bible say? Well, Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. If you're listening to the lie that you're, you're an accident, well, the truth is, is that God knew you before he created this world. So, as I close this morning... Let's rejoice in all that Jesus has done for us. Let's walk in the Sabbath rest that he's given us through grace, by faith. Let's enjoy our new lives in him, free from doubt, free from fear, free from accusation. Let's apply God's truth to our lives. If you're worried or fearful this morning, then just be, so, be joyful that you are now hidden in Christ. You are protected. God is with you. And I want to finish by reading um, these verses again from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light maybe there are some of you who are uh, watching this this morning and you have been trying to find God you would you know that you're on a journey searching for truth and you would like to put your faith in Jesus this morning well, if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer in a second, and I would really encourage you to pray this prayer with me. And as you do, put your faith in Jesus and ask Jesus to speak to you, to meet with you. And uh, I really believe he will. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you loved me, that you loved me before time, that you, have, you came to earth for me. You died on the cross for my sins. And I just want to thank you for all that you have done for me. And I want to say sorry for my sin, for the things that I have done wrong that have put a barrier between you and me. And this morning, I want to put my faith in you this morning. And I want to trust you. And I want to say that you are Lord. You are in charge of my life now. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.